Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Political Refugees Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to friend and host of the podcast, China in the Caribbean, Rashid Griffith, about the Myanmar coup. So, I hope you guys enjoy this episode because we're going to take not much of a deep dive because we're not experts at this, but a little bit of a discussion of the tip of the iceberg. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay. Um so the coup in Myanmar or Myanmar. I hope I'm not butchering the name. I hope not. But um, the coup, we brought on a friend, Rashid, a long-time friend, to talk about it, as promised in the last episode. And we just want to, we can't do a deep dive, obviously, because we don't have any experts here. But we can have a conversation about the situation and try to give you guys a better idea about this, this whole coup. Because the situation isn't necessarily a, a good one. And it's in keeping with the mess that 2021 has been. I guess 2020, 2021 just wanted to pick up. Right, oh, right, sorry, 2020 just wanted to pick up the slack from um, 2020. So we're here. So uh, well, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hi, Teague. So... Um, I guess we, because it's so complex, I guess we can't jump into exactly how it began or exactly where this would have started. But from, from the bit of conversation that we would have had earlier, I guess it is a situation where Myanmar was always unstable. They never had any stability. But I guess that's something that's regular for, for Asia. Or is this something unique to Myanmar? Oh, ask a question. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's not very unique to Myanmar. I think a lot of people don't have enough context of what happens in Asia. I think, for obviously, for justified reason, and most people can understand what happens in Europe. Some, I, I mean, Western Europe, they understand what happens in North America. To some extent, even in Caribbean, people don't really understand what happens in Central America either, although it's you know so near. But it's a similar thing in Southeast Asia, where the countries after the shakeup of World War Two, um, the countries never really stabilized in any you know in the Western European way. You know, have parliaments, regular elections. Yeah. You know, full full democratic processes. You know, independent courts. That's not really how it works in Southeast Asia. For 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 the most part, there are some exceptions, of course. But Myanmar, for example, has had military rule since nineteen forties, fifties. Cambodia has been ruled by a dictator for the last thirty years. Uh, Thai Thailand has had like 13 coups in the last 40 years or so. Or so. Vietnam is still a communist state. Laos is still a communist state. Uh, Philippines is probably the most democratic place in Southeast Asia. 
and so, so you, and obviously Malaysia is democratic as well, but they have their own ethnic uh, problems there. Indonesia had a dictator for quite a lot of time. Right now, it's more or less democratic, but also in China's interests. Even Philippines had a dictator for many years until 1983 when they changed it to a new constitution. So again, it's, it's, these are old countries, but very new um, government systems. That's kind of being implemented in the shake-up in the 20th century. So in case of Myanmar... Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, you, you, you can finish up. Right, so in case of Myanmar, it, it really, Myanmar, it, it really is the case that you can't look at the coup as some aberration. It is really the same, like, political game playing out in the last five decades. Yeah, but um, it's, it's interesting to see what's going on over there. I know that you, you brought that up. Like, why, why is it that, that Asia hasn't really... The, why is it that they... They're not, um, sorry, mimicking the the West in terms of um, setting up a a nice, pretty democracy like what we see in the US. Well, the the quote unquote the West is the aberration, right? The, the these liberal democracies are less than two hundred years old, whereas something like Myanmar goes back, you know, ten centuries. For example, the kingdom, former kingdom, kingdom of. Burma and what's not. Obviously, Burma borders India. India also has centuries of history as well. It also borders China. Again, centuries of dynasties and so on. So these, same with Thai kingdoms, same with the Laotian kingdom, the Khmer kingdoms, go back centuries. These are very, very old countries. Things like America, that's a you know, it's a young baby compared to these countries. So it's almost the question not really why they aren't mimicking. The U.S. is more a case of how did the U.S. get away with it, uh, so quickly. That's that's a that's a, I guess a more interesting question. Cause it would it would be the common default would be to think that these countries would be very um unstable because they lost their lost their their monarchies, lost their you know dynasties and so on. They haven't really found like a model to fit back in. So it's kind of almost like uh Hebrews to say that the Western European model, the American model, is like the true model that works in these countries that have existed long before these other countries, um, uh, especially US style models. So the like Westphalian Western European model is like what four, four. The actual states aren't that old as as they are now, like four hundred years or so. And then the actual democratic system thing is like again less than twenty years old, so it's not that surprising that these very old countries yeah, are are kind of you know not really easily to mimic the European system. So, so it's just a case that they're continuing um, they're continuing their history. Then it started one way and they're continuing in that same light. Well, it's not the same light because the the issue that happened. Um, during the colonial or World War Two period, really shook things up. So, uh, in case of Myanmar, they were they were colonized by the Britain, the British Empire for you know many years, and then during World War Two, they were uh, occupied by Japanese, and then so domestic, so <clears throat> Japanese kind of you know, got rid of the empire, the monarchs there, and so on. And then the freedom fighters in Japan, sorry, the freedom fighters in Burma also very anti-colonial, and they wanted to become an independent state. 
again. And Japan, coming to the end of World War Two, had a deal with um, Myanmar to have like a movement towards independence, but within the Japanese Imperial Empire. So the one of the people that was tasked, the Burmese people that was tasked with doing the independent transition away from a, a Japanese Empire state into an independent state was a guy called Aung San. And obviously, if you're following the coup, Aung San Suu Kyi, his daughter, is you know very important now. Yeah. So her, her father, Aung San, was the is considered the father father of the new Burma, uh, independent Burma from Japan. He was actually assassinated not too long after the Japanese deal and stuff was being negotiated and kind of uh, went, went through. So again, for, even from then on, it, from then, uh, even during the independence process from Japan, it was, you know, already very uh, unstable. Mm, I see. And then uh, talking about Aung Suki, um the interesting thing about her is that the first time that I, that I learned anything about Myanmar was through um criticism of her because of course we know about the plight of the, the Rohingya people and she she virtually did nothing about it that's 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 what they were saying um she actually I think the there were reports saying that she denied that there was uh, ethnic cleansing being carried out and 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 all of that so my my question would be like why what would be your opinion on why she would do such a thing because know that I know that I'm reading and I'm learning a bit more about it and I'm learning about the um this 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 military and how she's trying to how she the, the military is just not in her control I was wondering if her actions were influenced by the military so you have to keep in mind that when Aung San Suu Kyi was in power, or from the time she was in power, the actual government in Myanmar was not fully democratic then either. The military still had like a large proportion of the government. So it, she didn't really have that much power. I think it's only a third I'm not sure it's that number. I So she doesn't have, let's say, the power to do anything she wanted. That's not how it worked. So... Eve is specifically Rohingya people. She it was you know rocking a hard place in some sense because also the military have a lot of involvement in stoking. So a lot of the anti Rohingya activity, the barbaric activity in some cases in in Myanmar was you know stoked by the military. The military was making people much more angry at the Rohingya um, and. It was caused a lot of political problems in the country. And there are some good reports on it in New York Times also where the military used a lot of Facebook propaganda to be to spread a lot of very anti-Rohingya sentiment in, in Burma as well. So you really have to look at it since that she doesn't have complete power. It's not like, you know, she's the Prime Minister of Barbados and say, hey, stop that on TV and it's not, that's, that's how it works. The military controls a lot of power. The institutions are not necessarily that, you know, fair to the you know, rule of law, mostly ruled by law still in those kind of places. So the criticism is correct in the sense that she should have said more, but at the same time, I, you, you, you have to understand the position she was in where she didn't have the political capital to kind of wage a war against the military in this topic. Yeah, from 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 what I understood, it looked 
like her hands are tied. There isn't much that she can do about the military. So it, it really, when you look at it, I guess she she wouldn't be the solution that um people would have been seeking if, if they would have voted. Well, see, her. people is 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 it's a it's a it's a strange term because she said a lot of the anti a lot, a lot of obviously most of the criticism I would assume you would read from her about her is from obviously like you know Americans journalists and. A lot of that was also you feel I believe yeah. she got a Nobel Peace Prize at some point. So a lot of that is like they don't really Yeah, and it was taken away actually. Oh it was? Yeah, okay. So what happened is people don't people yeah, it, put it, it too was much because she denied um the ethnic cleansing thing. Right. People put people have put way too much hope in her, let's say, ability to transform a state into a different kind of state. So it it really was their fault for putting that much uh hope into her as a person and her her and her position. So I think that that was a big part of it as well. If if you had a much lower expectation, so it's gonna be very odd. Yeah, maybe they should have. Because I, I I guess um people were expecting her to be some savior. Again, it's it, 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 clear they because it, the people like, the people who are who follow the stuff very close never had that expectation. People who don't follow it closely have the expectation. So I guess so so what about what about the people like I guess you people on the ground, would you have an idea of what people on the ground would have think? People living in, in Myanmar who would have voted for her? Or? I have a couple of friends who live there. They're still there currently. Um they mm-hmm. They're not very optimistic. They were not very optimistic about her either. But obviously, they're going to vote for her anyway. That's that's why it kind of, how it kind of works. Mm-hmm. But they were not very optimistic about the politics. They like the country, like the culture, also their culture, their language, their food, their dress, and so on. But they're never very optimistic about the political prospects of their country. Yeah, I see. I see. But I, but I guess um from the outside looking in, people would just assume, hey um. These people are tons of people are voting for her. Maybe she can be the savior. Maybe she can be the solution to all the problems that they have, and she isn't. Yeah, I think people again in in most cases, not only outside looking in, but you know, if people like about Americans you know, in, their, in their own domestic politics, they they have too much faith in the potential of a, a new leader getting systemic things changed. That's not generally not how the world works. So yeah. Yeah, it definitely isn't, and considering that this is something that has been going on for so long, and it has been something that that was stopped since World War Two, then um, I I don't think that just installing a new leader is going to solve all of those problems. But um, what about the the Rohingya people in the in a situation like this? Like um, what would be some sort of solution for them or? something to alleviate what they're going through. I mean, stop killing them would be the answer. But, of course, that's not <laughs> going to easily happen. Yeah, definitely. But I, hearing about them is, 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 is tough. It's tough. It's, not, it's something that wasn't easy to listen to. I actually had to take a break. It was like, well, this is something that you hear from, like, TV villains doing to people. This is just something that you hear about in in, in real life. Uh, but um, 
I guess that's the reason how how the Rohingya people are treated is one of the main reasons that um there's been such a reaction from the international community. But I, I don't know what your thoughts on the on the response from the international community. What what response? Well, well, um, Joe Biden already, or uh, he threatened to reinstate sanctions. Um, China condemned the coup. Yeah, I don't, I don't call that a response, right? I just those the, the comments. I don't call that a response. They made comments on what happened. This is this like an obligatory thing that countries do. Yeah, I see. You mean just like basically they're saying, "Hey, don't do that," or we, we may do something. It doesn't really amount to action. Correct. I mean, said. again, this is this is well, not a know. new thing. There have been tragedies in Myanmar for decades. What well, what what makes this coup different? Nothing. Like people keep like there was a, like the last coup in Thailand. It was what twenty thirteen. What happened there? Nothing else, also, right? I mean, it even it's even like almost like Thailand. I think twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Maybe eighteen. If you check like the world tourism data. Thailand or Bangkok had the most tourists in the world, more than Paris, more than London, more than New York, Bangkok. And Bangkok is still ran by a military dictatorship. So they're just turning a blind eye, basically. Said, oh, I think, I think um, F1 is supposed to have a race out there, not 100% mm. sure. But I, I think that they're having, they were planning to have a race over hmm. there. I would not be surprised. It's a nice country. So, there's it, it, not that much you can do. It's just not, you can't, like, be in charge of other people's countries. That's not how that's not how it should work, right? Try to try to war, for example, or invasion. Um, so, it's not that much that other countries can do. Given, again, this, this is a, this region is, is fairly, it's very different from, from, from Western Europe. So I guess it is a, a, a different, um, different culturally issue. Well, I mean, of course, a different culture is a different culture, but the, the culture is not so what leads to having dictatorships. It's the people in power. Like the most people who live in Myanmar don't want a military dictatorship. And right now in Thailand, you can if you, if you follow what's happening in Asia, there've been protests in Thailand for the last months, um, against the the military dictatorship because the military dictatorship had cancelled a party. They had to um, try to arrest some people in government. Um, in Cambodia, for example, Cambodia current dictator dissolved the, the one of the political parties and jailed people and what's not. This is going on all over Southeast Asia for years and years and years and years. I, I, I just don't understand why it's happening all over. All over Southeast Asia, and there are other there are other places that are moving on from these sort of dictatorships. So, is it something unique to them, or I don't think it's it... a unique to them type argument. I just think is the default. I think is how they will operate. Where West, West, West. Um, think about also like a lot of the. I mean, it's hard to hard, really hard to say. These are very different places, right? Like, and if the different countries have different different. Uh, situations like in Europe, for example, a lot of Europe 
for a long time was united under the Roman Empire. So you know, for you know, not a you know, vast swaths of Europe that kind of stuff. Where in Southeast Asia, there was never that kind of thing there. So it's, it's a lot of like a lot of very separate, very insular in some sense. Um, so you so can never have like, a European Union in Asia, for example. That's not that's not something that ever happened. You have an ASEAN, but that's very 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 loose. So and you call it the wars and the civil wars and the various things like that. You really have to understand that these it's still like, almost young countries, young new systems, because they never really recovered that much from World War Two. People, 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 uh, people forget that or didn't they don't know that they think of World War Two and think of like battle between like Russia and um, France and Germany and England in Western Europe. That was a part of World War Two. That was not World War Two, right? All the World War Two movies. That's all you see. But like, Japan was fighting China. In Southeast Asia, Japan was fighting all kinds of people in Southeast Asia. Also, Russia was fighting Southeast Asia. Like that's a whole new, whole other dimension to the world's going at the same time. Like there was no like Japan and German co-fighting in, in Europe anymore. Yes, so, so the the so the, the luck or so say the, the the luck of the draw in some sense of how World War Two played out in Western Europe could have easily gone a different direction. Oh, so I guess the way how it played out, um, it's probably what led to that level of stability yes. that they have. Yes. No, as opposed to how it played out in um in Asia. So I guess that how it played out in Asia was probably the catalyst for the instability that yes. they have. And also keep in mind, for many centuries, Europe was constantly at war, like France against Germany, Poland against. It was constantly at war for centuries. So it's not like it's like a uniquely Asian thing, right? World War Two changed how Europe. Operates. Remember, everybody had World War Two in the first place. So that was a war between European countries, right? So it was not stable then either, in some sense. So you, you gotta keep that in mind, also. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't saying that it was unique to Asia, because I guess everybody had almost everybody had a little bit of instability. Everybody had a dictator at some point. It seems, especially throughout Europe, they would have had their issues with dictators. But I guess um. Based on based on what you said, what I was trying to get at is that why is it that Asia is still going through this? But considering what you said, it, it seems to be the World War that that caused that, and their unique experience with the World War that would have caused that caused them to be in the position mm-hmm. that they're in. So yeah, but the the thing the thing about it is that I I, I would like to know. To come up with some sort of solution for it, like what what can they do? Ooh, it seems like not much can change at this moment. I mean, what what can um Myanmar do? Because it is a domestic issue. But what can be done domestically? Like ideally, what could be done domestically to change this to change the current trajectory that they're on? Because it seems to be. They seem to be heading towards more. Of a yeah, mess. I don't think anyone has any answer for that because again, it's not. It's like it's like a problem being you know older than our grandparents. It's not a new thing. I don't think anyone has a really real answer to that question. The answer is you know get it by the government, but obviously that's not an actual answer. Yeah, I didn't get rid of the, the the military that seems to be giving them a ton of yeah, problems. Yeah, there you go. That'll fix it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> 
how are you gonna get how are you gonna get rid of that does he think is yeah, how, I guess people don't have any answers to exactly. I don't see that changing at any point. So any point in the future. Continue. Yeah, that, that is unfortunate. Those people are going to continue to be persecuted in the way that they're persecuted. But um, maybe they should just uh, take into consideration trying to get out of there. Which you know, I assume that they may have because I, I heard a lot of them move to Bangladesh. But even trying, so maybe the international community could, instead of just um putting together a couple loose statements, condemning Myanmar, maybe um find some sort of solution. You also, also got to be carefully words, right? Because there's no such thing as an international community, right? Because if, for example, you have like vast migration, they're not going to France or Germany; they're going to other poor countries nearby. So yeah, the, those that countries happened. don't want that to happen. Yeah, they, they definitely don't, and I think that was that was always my criticism of um, because that was 2019, I think it was 2019 that I that I did on um, the whole Harvard Model UN Model United Nations thing, and I had to represent Kenya, and one of the issues that Kenya had was that they had a lot of individuals coming into their refugee camps, but not a lot of them were leaving the refugee mm-hmm. camps. Because of the instability in surrounding areas would have led to the people running towards Kenya. But Kenya itself was a poor nation. So you have a nation that is struggling to provide its own citizens with education. Mm. I know they have no their task with the responsibility of not just providing their own citizens, but these individuals who came into their country. Are trying to integrate them into a society that they're struggling to, to maintain on their own. In fact, I, I found out that they took on they took on loans, basically, to to deal with these refugees. And they have one of the they have two of the largest refugee camps outside of the refugee camp for the Rohingya people in Bangladesh. Because I think the Rohingya, the one for the Rohingya people in Bangladesh, are about there's about um six hundred thousand people in that camp. Mm. But um, they have two of the largest, probably the second and the third largest in the world right now. And they're struggling. So, my, my, I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking along those lines. I was thinking about some sort of coordinated effort to get these people situated somewhere else. Outside of there, but outside of just Bangladesh, where, where they would have run. Like, I mean, just, just the Rohingya people, that's only one part of Myanmar, right? There like millions of other people not Rohingya. Yeah, but those are the people that are not the international. Well, I saw you so using international community, but that is what the UN are calling the, the most um, persecuted people. In the, in the world. I mean, so again, I don't know how you can make that. I, I don't know how you can make that metric. The Uyghurs in Xinjiang in China are very much persecuted as well. So, uh, um, that's going on all now too. I say again, millions of people, uh, as well, put it into camps and raped and murdered and all kind of stuff by Chinese people. Yeah, that's that's that seems to be that that seems to be um normal when you. When you're having any sort of instability, there's always some. But China is not unstable, of, right? Some, some, some I mean, China's, China's very stable, executed. more or less. It's just not an unstable country. That's a completely different problem. So, 
I don't, I don't, I don't think it's matter of discussing the worst, worst, most prosecuted, prosecuted since a relevant metric. I think that it's obviously bad to hunt people, kill them. I think do we just use that as a metric? And uh, again, even even if even if you somehow were to get all the Rohingya out, remember these are all just also their country, by the way. But if you get all them out of Burma, that's like still doesn't fix the actual political problems in Burma. And all the other people live there still have the problems going on. So it's like it's not it's not it's not by any means a solution to anything. It, it it was just it, it was just a silly hypothetical in in, in my mind because considering that they were saying all oh, these people are so persecuted and um, they're going through the worst the, the worst type of persecution in the world then maybe there was something that that they could do as a solution but um I guess it it is it's kind of a really sad note to the to 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 think about honestly. Like there's really is no solution for these individuals right now, at least. Um. Yeah. That's that. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, oh. Uh. On that sad note, <laughs> I will end it here, okay. and um, hopefully we could then uh, have a conversation about about China at some point. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I'm up for that. That should be that should be interesting, I guess. Depends obviously depends on the way you want to discuss. Yeah, well, maybe China, in the, China in the Caribbean for sure, because um, well, that's that's the name of your podcast as it well. It is, yes. China in the it Caribbean, is. right? Yeah, so def- definitely. If you're listening to this podcast, then you should check out that podcast, China in the Caribbean. If you're interested in China in the Caribbean. And you know, um, during my time in Jamaica, people were complaining about China and the Caribbean. All these Chinese people doing things all the time. They own all of these places, and they're doing this and they're doing that. That's ever so bad. And you, you could definitely see the Chinese presence in in um in in Jamaica. So that would be something that is interesting to cover. Yeah. So uh, till next time, when we have you on. Yeah. Ooh, sounds good. Yep, definitely. We're going to end it here.